0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talking Marks, a podcast brought to you by Trademark Now, a CoreSearch company. We will talk to you about an array of topics centered around trademarks and brands. Allow me to introduce myself. I'm Craig Bailey, a regional sales manager at CoreSearch based in Belgium. My co-presenter and colleague is Gokchen uzer Chenkelci.
1: Hi, I'm Gokchan, Trademark Counsel at Trademark Now. You're very welcome to Talking Marks. Just to introduce myself to you all, I worked as a trademark attorney for a little over 12 years and I have experience in trademark prosecution and portfolio strategies. I provide trademark law exporters for AI model development at Trademark Now.
0: I'd just like to say that no opinions that are expressed in this podcast should be considered legal opinions, nor do they directly reflect the opinions of CoreSearch or her employees. What we hope to achieve in this podcast is a casual but informative discussion on a variety of topics in the world of IP protection, including trademark law, brand protection, and trends in this amazing sector. We wish you all a belated Happy New Year. As 2021 begins, Brexit has become one of the more important topics, and not only in the world of intellectual property. It is having a profound effect on trade, politics, social issues, and the repercussions are global. We are joined today by someone who is intimately familiar with Brexit and its effect on the world of IP. So, now that the agreement on the withdrawal of the United Kingdom uh, from the European Union is uh, past us, um, we are dealing with a lot of new issues after the transition period, uh, which is, you know, which ended on the 31st of December. This episode covers basic information relating to the implications of the end of Brexit transition period and the processes that are taking place for trademark attorneys and to look at some of the circumstances surrounding those processes. Chris McLeod, a past president of SITMA, member of INTA, an active member of the Pharmaceutical Trademarks Group, and a partner at Elkington and Fife, has agreed to join us and give us some further insights into all of these new situations that trademark attorneys are dealing with post the Brexit transition period. Chris is... um, well-known within our sector, obviously, based upon the accolades that we've just pointed out. Um, Besides everything else, he's having a lot of fun these days, posting special trademarks on LinkedIn and uh, has created uh, quite a following there. Chris, uh, welcome. And uh, if possible, could you tell us maybe even a little bit more about yourself? Thanks
2: very much, Craig. Yes. Well, I've been in the profession since 1986 and started out as a um a trademark watching person because of my languages background so I was I did French and German at university and was hired to translate specifications of goods and services um and that was my rather sideways introduction into the the wonderful world of trademarks and uh, yeah as you said Craig I've got quite a thing going on LinkedIn with my trademark of the week which seems to resonate with uh, quite a few people in the sector and perhaps I can give you a, a few examples of some of the ones that I've picked up so just before Christmas I found a UK, they're all UK trademark applications. I found one for twelve days of Chris Mask with a K on the end. So that's very topical with regard to COVID. Um much needed for uh bakery products. That's quite a uh funny one. With a K um, of course, yeah. Gongs and Roses for musical instruments. Um, yeah, some of these are less uh, family friendly, but Fleetwood snack <laughs> for fast food restaurants. Um, let's try and pick out a few others that might be of interest. The good, the bad and the rugby for uh, clothing and podcasts, etc. Um, for Pete's sake, as in P-E-A-T for whiskey. Um, and there are you'll you'll see a new one every week um, if you uh, if you start following me on LinkedIn. Live life on the veg for T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> As um,
0: these are tongue in cheek. Um, how often do they proceed fully to registration or are a lot of these uh, stopped at earlier stages?
2: Now, well, these have all been accepted by the. The UK Intellectual Property Office, so they've passed the test of inherent registrability. So they're all considered sufficiently distinctive and and not descriptive or or otherwise offensive. So they're 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 on the way, but yeah, it, some of them show that that the UK IPO is quite relaxed um, when considering whether a mark might be contrary to uh, principles of morality, um, as some of my examples will show. So. Um,
0: and it makes for fun reading. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> one of my
2: favourites, it goes back to actually December 2019, is the mark Article 50, which was critical to Brexit. Article fifty gin everybody's gin um, for gin and other spirits and the applicant gin without borders limited so <laughs> there are some quite entertaining ones out there and it you know it's a, it's a bit of Friday fun but yeah you get about five thousand views so you know as far as uh, massaging my ego goes it's all good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, Uh, thank you, Craig, for the intro and thank you once again, Chris, for for agreeing to be a guest speaker on our podcast. And we are really excited for our listeners to get to hear your expert views on the matter and also data insights, which I found really interesting. Uh, Before beginning, I would like to present UK national application volumes for the last four years. So um, I'm using ExaMatch, by the way. So within four years, there has been approximately 440,000 national applications. and the peak point was beginning at 2019. Uh, and, and continuing 2020, there, there have been 330,000 national registrations. and top classes among these national applications are class 9 softwares, class 35. Uh, advertisement and marketing services, class 25, clothing and, and educational services, class 41. And top owner countries are UK, China, and US. And what is more interesting to see is, like you said, like uh, the, the more detailed data inside. I, I see, for example, the word Brexit with the word meaning to Britain to exit EU related trademark activities actually this uh this shows that whenever a social or political agenda is topical we see companies who are using this as an opportunity in commerce so i feel it's also interesting to address i checked from ExoMatch again and um, there are approximately 170 trademarks bearing brexit where Uh, Again, 100 approximately are live and UK is the most filed registry followed by by, uh, France, Benelux and India. And and those applications start in 2015, actually, and the peak point was 2016. And the data reveals that actually it lose the popularity by previous year and this year at all. And, and software is again one of the most filed products, but then there is also uh, theater services, for example, or political lobbying lobbying services on the list as a, a top product. And the word Frexit, which means the possible act of France leaving e- EU also subjected to a trademark uh, application, but not much uh, like compared to uh, Brexit. Uh, around 20 trademarks there. Uh, The data reveals that there are around 20 trademarks, and uh, having the same peak point like Brexit. And uh, There are no political lobbying services on the top product list, but there are more related to clothing services.
0: So, Based upon this data that we've now seen, and as you reflect on the impact of Brexit on IP, Chris, just how hard was it for uk attorneys to create branding strategies over the last 4 years
2: well i think it it's probably useful to to go back and think of 2016 um because that was the you know the key date when when the uk decided to to leave the EU and, and for me personally that was quite a depressing day when the when the result of the referendum came out. Um but I don't think that any UK trademark attorneys thought that we would still be wrestling with the the effects of Brexit right up to and beyond the end of twenty twenty. Um, and at first, I think that many of us hoped that there would be a deal which would allow us to continue to practice at the EU IPO, but it gradually became very clear that this wouldn- was not going to happen. Um, but we are fortunate in that the UK IPO has been very pragmatic and forward thinking in creating comparable UK trademark and design rights with effect from. 1st January this year and the EU IPO has confirmed that UK attorneys will be able to continue to act as representatives in relation to what they term ongoing matters. I would say however that um, from my own firm's experience and from discussions with attorneys at other UK firms we've spent a very considerable amount of time and money trying to work out the best way to deal with Brexit and and the the changes at the EU IPO. Um, a lot of UK firms have entered into collaborations with other EU attorney firms or indeed opened offices in other EU member states in order to address the effect of Brexit um, and Sitmar has been a a beacon of uh, hope in these dark times and successfully lobbied government MPs and the UK IPO um, and has been successful in, in many respects in that regard. I would say in conclusion on this point that I don't think that Brexit is in anyone's interest as far as IP is concerned and you could extend that further but that's beyond the scope of this podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, seems it will add more complexity uh, for both attorneys and companies. But before we take a look at the implication of Brexit on IP in detail, uh, can I ask one question about this uh, trade agreement between UK and European Union? Will, will this have any uh, repercussions for brand owners and Is this an effective agreement going forward or is it a real Christmas gift?
2: (laughs) It's, let's say it's not the best (laughs) Christmas gift I've ever received. Um, I would say looking for a positive in it, it is markedly better than if we had, if the UK had left the EU with no deal whatsoever, um, because that would have created, uh, I think, a much higher level of uncertainty with regard to trading. Um, That being said, the UK IPO had already said what it was going to do with regard to creating comparable rights, so it wouldn't have affected that if we'd had no deal. But I think you know if if business is experiencing uncertainty which covid is certainly um causing if you add to that a no deal brexit then i think you know it would be it would it would certainly have ramifications for ip mm-hmm. and trademark practitioners um because businesses tend to react uh cautiously in times of of uncertainty so yeah that's a long-winded way of trying to squeeze something positive out of
0: brexit <laughs> <laughs> so now that the transition period is over so we we understand that existing international registrations that designate the european union and existing EU IPO registrations will remain effective in the UK, I'm guessing at least until their renewal date. Um, what's going to happen now to new international registrations protected in the European Union, as well as new EUIPO registered trademarks?
2: So anything that comes into existence on or after 1st January this year will not inherently cover the UK unless the UK is specifically designated in that international registration so with effect from 1 January if an IR designates the EU you've got no protection in the UK so you have to designate the UK separately with effect from 1st January yeah
1: And and, uh, what will happen to EUIP pending applications uh, which are like neither refused or nor protected by the end of the transactional period?
2: So, by contrast, there is a nine month period with effect from 1st January this year, which is most akin to a priority period. Although, if you look at the legislation they have been pretty careful not to describe it as a priority period because priority exists as a concept and everyone knows that it's a six month period so you've got a nine month we we decided in our office to call it a hamburger because mm-hmm. we were <laughs> we were allowed to call it what we want but yeah the 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 serious point is You've got till the end of September to. File in the UK. Claiming the the date of the the pending EU application or designation. And that's it. It it ends at the end of September, so after that if you want protection in the UK, you you've got to start from scratch. So with an international you could designate the GB as a subsequent designation or you could file a new national UK application.
1: Do we already know how uh, UK Patent Office display the seniority claims? Because like seniority is something uh, regulated under EU law, but they said that they will retain also seniority date also. So it's a like a brand new concept in UK. So how we will see that information in UK Patent Office do they any uh, make any announcements about
2: that yet? Yeah, so they've said that they will they will honour effectively seniority and priority claims. So mm-hmm. the it will just be the relevant data transposed onto the UK register. I mean, at this moment, I don't know yeah. what what okay. level of detail. But if you look at the EU IPO. Um, e-search the data can be fairly limited in some respects and I would imagine okay. the UK is not going to go into much detail but just provide confirmation that that priority that that seniority exists and then you mm-hmm. can look at the the EU case to see yeah what the, what the okay. details are or TM view usually gets you the answer to most things in life
0: so, Chris, in light of this, uh, what recommendations are you making to trademark owners for, in terms of keeping their rights secure?
2: My first bit of advice is that I would ensure that for all UK comparable rights, trademark owners appoint a UK representative. Now, in many cases, this will be automatic, where the representative for an EUTM registration is already a UK representative, but UK representatives are most familiar with UK IPO law and practice and therefore best able to handle UK trademarks. Renewals are a potential issue, so a a robust docketing system, which I think most practitioners will have, is critical. Although if deadlines fall through the cracks, there are renewal grace periods built into the system. Mm -hmm. Um, Another issue that is probably going to present challenges is is that of non-use and by the same token, uh, providing evidence of reputation, for example, where you're relying on that in opposition. But I think that logically, if use has taken place or a reputation has been established in the EU whilst the UK was a member, that you should clearly remain relevant for some years after Brexit. So essentially it's going to depend on the relevant time period. So if you've got three years before the end of 2020 and two years after, then the three years pre-Brexit is obviously going to be relevant uh, in UK proceedings.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you anticipating after three years that there's going to be a lot of cancellation actions initiated in the UK based on that?
2: Well, I wouldn't say necessarily, but I would imagine that practitioners will generally try to challenge any comparable right or any basis of opposition through Whatever means they can in relation to Brexit. So, yeah, but well, I think we can look forward to some interesting arguments, shall we say?
1: Yeah, and then maybe most probably within the time we will see a shift to different rules and moving away from the key EU rules regulated with uh, EU directives. And yeah, yeah. And then what suggestions can you give in terms of enforcement strategies for trademark owners? Like, do you foresee any problems, for example, in customs enforcement processes or with an exhaustion issue? Will goods put on the market in the UK be exhausted in the European economic area?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. The withdrawal agreement does give some clarity about parallel imports, both from the UK to the EEA, the European Economic Area, and from the EEA to the UK. Taking, firstly, parallel exports from the UK to the EEA, goods placed on the UK market by or with the consent of the right holder may no longer be considered exhausted in the EEA. The practical effect of this is that businesses exporting such goods which have trademark or other IP protection from the UK to the EEA may need the consent of the owner of those rights. In respect of parallel imports from the EEA to the UK, the IP rights in goods placed on the EEA market buyer with the consent of the right holder after the transition period will continue to be considered exhausted in the UK. So that confirmed that the status quo is maintained, i.e. that parallel imports into the UK from the EEA will be unaffected. Interestingly, the UK government website is also flagging up that it hasn't yet decided what its permanent regime with regard to exhaustion should be. The website also says that the government plans to publish a formal consultation in early 2021, so in that regard it's case of watch this space
0: so now that this transition period is over we know that uk attorneys are not going to be able to represent their clients before the eu ipo or at least once current matters have ended um how many attorneys are going to be affected by this issue chris
2: well to some extent all of them um and all uk attorneys who are or were until 31st December 2020 were authorised representatives, um, which I think is probably about 800 to 1,000. So all of them will have have had to take some action to ensure continuity of service.
0: Now, now do you think that strong lobbying could have perhaps prevented this uh, outcome? And... um overall how are uk attorneys feeling about this issue
2: i i mean as i mentioned earlier sitmar lobbied hard continuously and you know indefatigably even but realistically i don't think although we very much wanted to to be able to continue to represent clients. It really was never. High enough up the political agenda that. That we would be able to retain the right to to direct representation. Um, And you know, understandably. Our EU mainland counterparts. Were were not keen on the idea either, so. Yeah, I, I don't think without some. Detailed reciprocal arrangement, I don't think that could have ever. Happened. Um, as to the the view. In the profession in the UK. I haven't spoken to many. Uh, to UK attorneys who think that it's. Positive. I mean, we've we've practiced. At the EU IPO and and owe him as was since before it opened its doors. So that's you know quarter of a a century. We lose the right to to use what is probably the most slick and and streamlined trademark office on the planet. So I'm. I'm not a fan of <laughs> us <laughs> no longer be able to, being able to do it.
0: Is this matter a question of nationality or location? For example, if a UK trademark attorney relocated to an office within uh, Germany or within Ireland, would they be able to continue to practice, or do they also need to have the European nationality?
2: <laughs> As I understand it, it's it's nationality yeah. rather than location. So the the rules are fairly transparent so what what you cannot do is for example hire a serviced office in say dublin whilst still being a, a uk national so you you need the nationality criterion and the place of business so a serviced office where you don't actually operate is no good and by the same token if you're not a an eu national still i mean if you've got joint nationality that would be fine in conjunction with a real place of business but um yeah otherwise i mean i've seen some workarounds and a lot of practitioners uh, took exams to get on the irish Register of trademark agents, and that didn't end well. Mm-hmm. And it, again, it's it's understandable if the if the boot was on the other foot. I'm pretty sure that UK practitioners and UK, you know, IP bodies and UK government would be saying, this is a this is a workaround, this is a sham. So, yeah, if it if it looks bona fide it probably is and if it doesn't it probably isn't
1: yeah and as as i already said like most probably within time we will see a shift to different rules moving away from the key eu rules regulated in the uh, eu directives and and one thing in my mind is how uh uk will uh, further regulate geographical indications how do you think the geographical indication politics of uk will look in the future post brexit like can you update us how the the deal will affect the protection of gis
2: yes surprisingly i was getting quite a lot of correspondence about this as we hurtled towards the end of last year in particular from Uh, cheese related clients in Italy who understandably were completely in the dark about whether existing EU GIs or PDOs etc would be automatically protected in the UK post-Brexit or whether they would need to file a uk specific application and the information on the the defra part of the government um website was completely silent so i had to say to my italian cheese making (laughs) clients i don't know unless we unless we get a deal then it looks like you will have to file new UK GI applications. However, good news for cheesemakers and other producers of, of GI products, the the deal did include terms that confirmed that uh, existing GI protections in the EU would be honored in the UK. So new uh standalone applications won't be necessary to to continue protection based on existing gis so that's a so many positives about brexit you see
1: yeah true and then like which other industry th- industries in general do you think may be affected most adversely by by brexit or or do you think we will see some sector-by-sector negotiations in this regard.
2: I mean, if you you apply that question to trademarks and even designs, and I think it's two million comparable rights were created by the UK IPO to replicate the the protection that existed at the EU IPO and and via wipo so that's a very large number of additional registrations that companies in any sector have to put onto their record systems instruct their external trademark attorneys to enter onto their records to monitor and then when you get to new brands so particularly I'm thinking pharmaceutical companies, um, producers of FMCGs, these are companies which have high volumes of potential trademarks to clear and register Um, so they're going to have to add the UK as a separate register to clear those marks and also to register them. So it's it's a it's a new um strain on on legal budgets. Um so yeah it's gonna be tricky I think f- particularly for companies in those mm. sectors but if you consider the cost of obtaining a, a UK trademark registration, it's it's not expensive um it's quite quick and as chartered uk trademark attorneys we're qualified by examination and externally regulated so i'd like to think we're a safe pair of hands on the flip side there are obviously a large number of smes in the in the uk who's business is inherently UK centric Um, and for them early EU trademarks will in due course cease to constitute prior conflicting rights so they could benefit. That was my additional thought, thank you.
0: So, Chris, we really do appreciate you coming in and sharing with us on what is uh, probably the most over-discussed topic of the last few years, but yet still so very important to trademark owners and trademark attorneys alike. I do think that there's probably been new developments over the last uh, six to eight months that make it a more applicable topic than it's been for a while and uh your your insights are really appreciated so thank you for being with us today
1: yeah thank you chris and i think it's now time to move to live with this divorce and, and have, have the expert assistance, as you said during the management of ip rights
0: thank you very much thanks for listening today If you would like to know more about CoreSearch products and services, including trademark searching and watching, screening options on the CoreSearch platform and through Trademark Now, domain services, online brand protection, and anti-piracy solutions, please visit us at CoreSearch.com. If you would like to be a guest on a future podcast, please send an email to podcast at trademarknow.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with your fellow IP professionals using hashtag TalkinMarks. That is Talkin, T-A-L-K-I-N, Marks, M-A-R-K-S. See you next time.